Thank you. If you take your bulletins and turn to the sermon outline pages, pages 6 and 7, take your Bibles if you'd like to follow along in John chapter 11. One theologian has put it this way, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And we are here to affirm today, before the world and into our own hearts, the absolute truth of his resurrection from the dead. Not something that came just out of the blue, but was predicted even by himself. As we turn to John 11, verses 16 and following, we read of his words, I am the resurrection and the life. Then Thomas, called Didymus, also said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. This is God's word. Let us bow together. We stand here, O Lord, on this great day, a day made great by you. It is your action through your Son, and, O Jesus, it is your power and glory that we celebrate this day. And, O Spirit, we thank you for making these things clear to us, for not obscuring them, for not keeping them to yourself but for broadcasting them to us then and every day since. Help us, we pray, to appreciate and to appropriate the wonderful resurrection that is ours through Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. We come now to the last in our series on the I Am statements of Jesus found in the Gospels. Here he is at the tomb of his dear friend, many days yet before his own resurrection. And he says very clearly to them, although they didn't fully understand, and yet at the same time it was cause for his arrest and crucifixion, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Those words are our focus this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who was the bread of life, he who is the vine, we are the branches. He who was the light of the world, he is the good shepherd, he is the gate. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This same one is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. If we look at the rest of the New Testament, the sermons in the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and Peter and John, we see that many, in many instances, particularly in Acts, they were responding to questions that the people outside of the church could see something that they had questions about. They weren't studying the resurrection as to whether the stone had been moved by the angel or by someone else. They weren't studying the resurrection as to whether somebody might be able to rise from the dead. They were studying the resurrection because of the reality they saw in the lives of the people. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He who believes in me and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Two resurrections. I'm the resurrection and the life for you. My resurrection is an historical fact, but it also has an application in your life, now and in the future. Many years have passed since he spoke these words. Many other believers have come to follow these words. Let's look at them more closely. He says, first of all, I am the resurrection. That's who I am. That's, that's what I do. He has been raised for us. He is not saying that he would be raised for them or that he would show you and me how to live so that we could be resurrected. He is saying, I am your resurrection. My own rising from the dead guarantees yours. I am the accomplishment of it. I'm not pointing it to, to it as a separate fact. I am the one who accomplished it. And you can't know me without knowing life. You can't know me without having a destiny and a future. I tie myself to it. I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not a separate objective event apart from me. Oh, of course, it is a historic fact and an objective truth, but I am the one who made it happen, and it's on my account that you might live. You are not a Christian if you just believe that Jesus was raised, but, but he was raised for our salvation, as it says in Romans 4. What did, why did he do that for us? Because he loved us. And because he's going to give himself for us at the cross and in the resurrection so that we might live. This seems perhaps somewhat remote to us this morning as we don't expect to be dying anytime soon. And death itself, though we're aware it's out there, is something that we hope is yet many, many years away. But for those who from the beginning faced martyrdom, stood for the truth against the oppressors, this real promise was very much a helpful thing. 
the application. Many, many believe that they can never be free of their past sins or live them down. But God says, no, on the cross, Jesus paid it all. And I have given you your receipt of that payment. He stamped paid in full across the pages of history. You will never have to pay for these things again because Jesus paid for them. He did it. If it had been a project of the church, it might have failed or have been incomplete. But because he did it and he accomplished it, it is fully done. When you go into a store and you buy something, they give you a receipt. If there's something defective about it, you bring it back. The receipt of his resurrection and his life is his own death upon the cross. I gave myself for you, and because I gave myself for you, you too will live. But Peter didn't do it. Moses didn't do it. Abraham didn't do it. David didn't do it. I did it. I am the resurrection. It is my work. If you know me, then you will know life. If you know me, then you will live. Now and in the future. But the first point is his own clear statement that the resurrection is not something he pointed to or that he brought about in some other way. The life that he offers to us is something that he himself purchased and accomplished for us. He went that way and fully did it. Then he says, I am the resurrection. What I've done for you is give you victory and power. We sang up from the grave, he arose, he broke the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. That too is a fact. Not only did he accomplish it, but it actually is a game changer. Thursday night when we gathered for Monday Thursday services, we saw that he went into the garden for us and there drank of a cup the beginning of which was there and was fully accomplished on the cross, the cup of anger, God's anger and righteous anger against sin. Because he did that, something significant has happened. What I've done for you, as I say at the top of page 7, is achieve a victory and a power over death. You've lost loved ones. You've stood at the graveside. You've looked into the ground. You've seen the urn of their remains. Lifeless. Cold. Defeated. And the feeling at that moment can be one of a complete loss and defeat. They can't help us, and we can't help them. We want love without parting, but we can't have it because of sin. And as a result, there's brokenness, an irreversible defeat and loss takes place. Death is not natural. It is, as I say, a monstrosity. It is obscene. It's terrible. How do we deal with it? Well, some in our day would say, let's just deny. Let's don't talk about it. Let's don't remind each other about it. 
let's pass over it, not face it. Others would say, no, let's say death is our friend. Let's, let's refer to it as the final and beautiful stage of life, of transition to something else. But the Bible says that death is the last enemy. That it is our adversary. That it is, the, that it is not a friend. It is completely abnormal. But it is a defeated enemy. A defeated enemy. O death, where is thy sting, Paul writes. O grave, where is thy victory? Paul taunts it as if it were a vanquished foe. He does a victory dance in 1 Corinthians 15. To say, very great is our, is our enemy. Death is victorious and really is undefeated. Save for one. Lazarus was raised here, but he died again. And everyone else, whoever died, stayed that way, save Jesus. He rose, he ascended into heaven, and he lives. And because of that, death has been defeated. Promised in Genesis 3, accomplished now in the Gospels. Death is the last enemy. So we can say, come on death, instead of breaking me, you will be making me. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is also, ironically, paradoxically, the best thing that can happen. It is a dark tunnel that leads to a ballroom and a tremendous celebration. These are the facts. These are the truths of the scriptures. And we don't need to fear it. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? It's also the best thing that could happen to you. The best day of our lives will be the day of our death. If you are a Christian, the best day of your life will be the day of your death. Because then, no longer will you struggle. No longer will you be alone. No longer will you fear. No longer will you doubt. You will rise again in his presence and forevermore be free of tears and agony and failing and having others fail you. So the worst thing that could happen to us now is the best thing that could happen to us. Many live in fear, worry, anxiety about what could happen to them. Think of the worst thing. It becomes the best thing because of, because of Christ. We sang, ours the cross, the grave, the skies. If you live on Monday, you are with God. If you die on Monday, you are with God. You can't lose. This is the victory that changed Peter and John's lives. And all the people who heard those sermons. And this is why people asked about the resurrection. Not because they were worried as in our day about the science of it. Or how it could have happened. But because they saw changes in the lives of the people who believe such things. There's no longer anything to fear. And the greatest and the last enemy is death. And it has been defeated. That's life changing. That's really, really good news. I am the future, the resurrection, 
I am your destiny. I am your hope. I am your place. We spend all our time worrying about having enough money, having enough health, having enough time with family, having enough of whatever we would like to have at the end of our days when he says the best day is yet to come. You don't need to fear anything else. The worst thing that could happen to you is the best thing that could happen to you. If you have your receipt, do you know peace with God? Do you feel scorn and defiance over death because of his victory? Or do you deny or sentimentalize it? What are you going to do with the end of your days? Think about it. How are you going to respond? If you have faith in me, he says, it absolutely incontrovertibly is true that you will live. And nothing will separate you from me forevermore. Because I am the resurrection. And the life. No one else can do this for us. Other people can help us when we live. As philosophers and religions and teachers, they may give us advice as to how to live a better life. But none of them can help us at the end of it. All they can say is, well, I hope you had fun. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you did a little good while you were living on the world. But I'm sorry, I hear I have to leave you. Go ahead on by yourself. And Jesus says, come, I take you by the hand. And I bring you from this life to the next. I will go with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will be with you no matter what you need. I will take you from this world to the next. The thing you fear the most is really going to be the source of your greatest joy. Why? Because he who believes in me will live. Even though he dies. Now he grants, of course, the tension that remains in the world for the wages of sin remains death. And uh, when we are in the place of punishment and the place of loss, it will be in part because of our sins and the sins of Adam. We cannot escape death unless Jesus should come back before we, re, before we die. But whoever believes in me and lives will never die. Some parts of the Bible are obscure, mysterious, but this is crystal clear. It's an absolutely clear statement. Though you die, you will live. If you believe in me, and so he says, I am the resurrection, and now he who believes in me is his focus in this final section. There are two resurrections that come into our lives. He that believes in me, though he were dead, though, he were, though we are dead, and the air is past tense of that phrase, when you die, you will not stay dead, but your body will come back to life. You will get a new body. Earth and grave will not hold us forever. Our souls in heaven will be united with our bodies. Now you've heard this before. And you've said yes, well, someday. But the Bible is very clear that if you trust in him now, you can be sure that this will happen also to you. It is the certainty of the scriptures. You will get a new body. Earth and grave will not hold us forever. Our souls in heaven will be united with our bodies. 
And they were not only, you know, if our bodies were a problem, then we would just be resurrected spirits. Our, the reason for our sin is not our bodies, it's our soul, it's our rebellious nature. And so when we die and rise again, it's not that we've been released from our bodies, which are cages of and confining sin. We are reunited to them. God gave us our bodies, and we have our bodies forevermore in a resurrected and glorified state to enjoy. We are not just spirit. We're not just soul. We're also bodies. And the body that is corrupted by disease and is broken by death shall be healed, shall be raised, shall be reunited to the soul. I don't know how. How did he raise himself? It's just a fact. It's just a clear teaching of the scriptures that the resurrection and the life are for those who trust in him. So he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet when you die, you do not stay dead, but you're raised again. And then secondly, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. A life that never does go out. You don't sleep. There isn't an intervention, an intermission of any kind. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the scriptures say. There is a spiritual resurrection that goes on within us by the Spirit, and it renews us and transforms us from one degree of splendor to another until the moment of death. And then we go on and live forever with Him. We never die. Martha responds, yes, I know my brother will be resurrected sometime in the distant future. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Not a future possibility, but a present certainty. This resurrection is not something that's going to take place only in the future. But if you are a Christian, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then you live now. You are alive. Inwardly, spiritually, transformation is taking place. The Holy Spirit lives within you and you will never die. In one sense, your body will be separated, as we said, for a few moments, for an interlude, for a time. But you yourself will never experience separation from God from this life on through to the next and to all eternity. An unbroken continuum, a string of pearls of connection between God and his people that is not to be severed. So the life that you live right now will continue on. We ask, what will, be like, what will it be like when I'm dead? It'll be better. It'll be what we haven't experienced of him now and tasted now only more so. We will see then face to face. What we have had only through a glass darkly, we will see clearly. And the connection between this life will be an unbroken, glorious continuum toward heaven. And a bright future. A future without loneliness, without regret. A future without tears, without sorrow. A future without forsakenness or failure. A future in the presence of the Lord now and forever. 
I believe Jesus means for us to think about these things, not just accept them as such facts that will have a remote application, but today you live. Today he lives in you, and today he is bringing you to his work and glorious future. Has there been a spiritual resurrection in, in your life? Have you taken Christ as your Savior? Have you said to him, yes, Lord, I do believe in you? If not, why not? What holds you back? Are you afraid of surrendering to someone who will never hurt you? Are you afraid of the unknown when he has told us enough about what he will do for us? Today's the day to say to him, okay, I accept you. I accept what you say. I can't see it. I can't prove it. But you've given me enough. And your kindness has opened my heart. And you've broken down most of my defenses. Okay. Today I say yes. This is my moment. This is my time. Why not? What's to hold us back? Go ahead. Is the Bible alive in you? Can you feel his resurrection power? I don't know. This is, this is, this is tricky. It's not a sensation as if electricity were suddenly charged through your being. But you know if you know him. You know in your heart if he is yours. You know he can do it. You may not know how or when or where. Of course, he doesn't reveal these things always to us. But whatever is looming over your life, whatever obstacles you face, the resurrection says these things have to come down. I want to give you life. I want to give you real life. And you're settling for a lesser bowl of pottage like Esau. You're not taking all that I'm offering you because you're afraid. So pick a sin and put his resurrection power to work on it. Take something in your life that you don't like, that bothers you, your temper, your, your pride, your bitterness, your sense of regret and failure, your insecurity, your feelings of weakness. Take those things and say, Lord Jesus, kill them in me. Form Christ in me to such an extent that those things no longer take over in me. That I'm no longer mastered by them. That I'm no longer enslaved to them. That I no longer serve them. Take away my bitterness. Take away my pride. Take away my insecurity. Take away my feelings of inadequacy. Whatever it is, take it away, Lord. Take your resurrection power. You say, I live and I'm going to live forever. Then set me free from these things. Set me free from my doubts and my fears. Set me free. And so it's really quite clear. We weren't there 
But the testimony is incontrovertible. He's alive. And even though you didn't see him at that time or during the period of the 40 days after his resurrection, you know he's alive because you've sensed it. You've seen him and other people in this room. You've seen him at work. And you know when they speak, they speak of something that's true. And when you take the Bible and you read it and you, and you see its words, then you know that what is there is accurate and fair and right. That there's something about it, though it's mysterious and difficult to understand in some ways, it's also absolutely gripping and compelling and, and authoritative. So you've seen him in others and you've seen him in his word and you've felt him tugging at your heart. You've sensed that there's something there. That it, you're not the same you, that you used to be. Either you've been changed by faith in him or he's pulling at you and saying, Come on, come on, I want you to trust me. I can be trusted. So we haven't seen the resurrection, but we have seen him in others. We have seen him in the scriptures and we have felt him in our own hearts. He must be there. He must be there. He is there. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yes, I grant, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Thank the Lord for such compelling good news. None of it deserved. None of it that we worked for. None of it that was handed to us except by him. None of it that we can boast in save the cross of Christ. So this is a very happy day. It's not happy because it's springtime and because the lilies are out and because they're singing and because people are dressed for Easter. It's happy because of him because of what he has done for us, and because he is alive. And that's the thing that people were asking about in the book of Acts. What has happened to these people? I don't care about the stone. I don't care about whether you can die and come back to life. I see a change in these people. And that's what he's after. Changed lives. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Let us rejoice in a living Savior to whom we can turn. And when we need him, when we need him on the day that the worst that could happen to us does happen, he will make it the best thing that could happen to us. He will set us free. Let us pray. This Easter, O oh Lord, we are grateful for something we had nothing to do with. It is truly a gift that you would have come and suffered and died for us and risen again centuries before we were even born. That you would do this for us is truly astonishing, and we thank you. And we ask you, will you help us to trust you? Will you help us to make these things come alive for us? Will you grant faith to those who don't have it here this morning? Will you give them the gift of eternal life, we pray. 
And for those who have it, may this power, may this grace be applied to those areas where we are weak, to our insecurities, to our pride, to our bitterness, to our resentments, to our fears. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're alive. We need you. And we ask your help in these ways. Receive our thanksgiving and praise, we ask now in Christ's name. Amen.